Daniel 11. Daniel 11. We'll be here on verse 40. Start in on it. I'm going to do a brief little recap as we run towards the end. If, we, if you're open to Daniel 11, let's flip back this one chapter to Daniel 10. In verse 14, when we have this encounter with Daniel, the supernatural being who's telling these futures event as God's emissary, the one who's come in that uh, emissary to, uh, to tell him these future things. And so, verse 14 of Daniel chapter 10, it says, now I am come to make thee understand what shall be uh, befall thy people, Jewish people, in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And so he's about ready to give him the vision in chapter 11 where we are. We're, we're drawing near the conclusion. He's done, all these were latter day things. And it started, you know, from, he told them about kings and kingdoms that marched their way all the way up to Rome and then some, you know, to the point where it comes to where we are today as we see these things beginning to coalesce back together. Uh, he sums them all up with talking about the northern kings and the southern kings. We talked how the code to crack that was that the southern kings usually represented Egypt. The northern kings represented Syria. And it marches up until the last king. And then it kind of like blurs. It's all blurry. You know, we, we talked about that image. I was talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. It's talking about Antichrist or the beast of Revelation and how it's telling things about them that are common. But then around verse 35, 36... It shifts to all being future things. But within the commentary of both of them, like verse 21, it tells us that he is a vile person. That he comes in peaceably to attain the kingdom by flatteries. The end of verse 21 says that this is the means uh, in which he operates. He comes in lying. You know, and Jesus warns us it's a time of deception. He'll be a deceiver. So he comes in lying. He's a vile person. And so he sells them on peace, but he wants war. Verse 22 tells us that he makes a covenant. He is called the prince of the covenant. Daniel 9 tells us about that, that all-consuming prophecy of Daniel 9, the kind of everything circles back to Daniel uh, 70 weeks. He makes a covenant with them. But he is a liar. Verse 27 says that, uh, And both these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief, and they shall speak lies at one table, but it shall not prosper. For yet the end shall be in their time appointed. And so they are liars, and they lie to each other. Verse 28 Goes on, says, then he shall return into his land with great riches. His heart shall be against the holy covenant, and he shall do exploits and return to his own land. And so uh, he's against the covenant, this treaty that he forms. Antiochus Epiphanes did, and then the beast will do the same thing. The, the covenant that he confirms that starts the seven year tribulation. That's the, the, the impetus of that. Uh, verse 31 says, he commits the abomination of desolation, the very parts of nation and the place. The abomination that maketh desolate. That's the abomination of desolation. That's what Jesus warns about in Matthew 24, where he goes in and he defiles the temple, where he sets himself up as God in God's temple. So that's why we're looking for Israel to rebuild the temple, because we know there's going to be one, because he goes in and defiles it. He is a proud and willful person. Verse 36 um, talks about that, how he does according to his will, and he shall exalt himself, and he magnifies himself. He'll speak and put himself above every god. You know, he esteems himself more than anything. He shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and he shall prosper until the indignation be accomplished. For that is determined, shall be done. So it's kind of these things have to be done. God's told it, it's going to come about. He's going to bring him to conclusion. He will pay. The payday's not always on Friday, right? We always think, like, oh, you know, judgment's going to come. It does. 
No one escapes judgment. Uh, it's very comforting you know, when you have like a school shooter go in and they commit suicide. You're thinking, oh, you know, they, 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 they think they shortcutted justice. They didn't. You know, judgment day is coming. You know, they're paying for it then, but God will bring it to light and put it before them. And then everything that comes against them goes against them. And so um, God's just letting us know. I think he's kind of telling us here, it's like, I will pay him for all this. Note, note that that's true. And so he thinks he's God. He blasphemes the God of gods, verse 37. And he brings in new gods and magnifies himself above all. And so he introduces new things. He loves weapons in verse 38. We've talked about the God of forces. Um, we, we kind of broke that down where it's actually not only just the God of weaponry, but defenses. He loves a defense. That's when we talked about dogs, you know, the deep underground military bases and the things that are established not only in the United States, but around the world. Verse 39 we talked about how he goes to these strongholds, these dip, deep holes in the ground, with a strange God. So he goes down with a strange God. That's why I speculated, maybe that's an alien. You know, we're right in a time when they're having you know, court proceedings right now, or you know, Congress and Senate, uh, where they're having all this, these things that are happening right now. Uh, but it says he puts these strange gods in a ruling position, and he causes them to rule over many divide the land for gain. They divide up and portion the land and put some of them in control over the earth. I was thinking about it later. Uh, maybe it's not, I say alien. Talk about something that is alien and in charge of things now or going to be even more so in charge of things would be artificial intelligence, AI. We are, we are letting computers decide more and more things. And it's not good. Elaine and I were watching the show the other day, and they were kind of running down this scenario where they're like, I think there's been, I think you might have listed four or five incidents where we should have launched nukes. Either we should have launched nukes or Russia should have launched nukes, nukes against each other. And we have the mad policy, you know, mutual assured destruction, where if they launch, we launch. We have the whole scenarios played out. I think most of us, well, there's some younger ones here, have seen war games, you know, back, way back when. Yeah, you have all that. And so, okay, some of the younger ones have too. You know, so it's like it just keeps playing out. No one wins. You know, no one wins. And so that's, Kind of the scenario, and that's what keeps us at bay from launching. But you know, there's a glitch, you know, and, and, and Montana gets it, and they're like, Oh, we got incoming Russian missiles, and they're gonna launch it. But a human there is like, I can't make myself push this button. It takes two of them. They confirm, they're like, Let's just double check this, and they find out it's a computer glitch, you know, disaster averted. Another time they scrambled, and the guys were in the jets getting ready to take off, you know, to, to launch, and, and someone runs onto the runway and stops them and says, Let's just double check this you know, before you know and so turns out it was a glitch same thing has happened in russia where they were supposed to launch and yet a guy there has a gut feeling like i don't know it doesn't seem right turns out to be a glitch on the computer system and so now our all-knowing politicians say you know what we should have computer systems just in charge of this they're so trustworthy wait a minute the glitches cause all the other problems but they're going to have an ai a system of a, a flow chart basically it's like oh if launched then this if this then this and there's no gut feeling there's no one to say there's humans involved in this but we're saying we should put them in charge of that. Uh, we should have put them in charge of the courts. Oh, here's the evidence. Here's whatever. Are they innocent or guilty? We should have put them in charge of the verdict then. It's like, well, what's the sentencing against them? Well, here's the charges. Here's what it is. I can look at all the case law. Here's what the sentencing should be. We'll let AI do it versus a trial of our peers. We're going to turn it over to that. You know? And so there's all these different things that are pushing towards that. Maybe this is the strange God. It seems like it has God-like knowledge and power, right? That's why I always associate it with the image that the big beast creates and puts in the holy place when he commits the abomination of desolation. It is one that seems like it needs worship and demands worship. As a matter of fact, there's cults out there that are being formed currently to worship AI gods. You know, that's, as a matter of fact, it's a 
Facebook guy, a Facebook guy who's a launched a cult to you know, to worship the AI gods, and so it seems like this would be one. We're going to give them this power and charge over our, our, our systems. Uh, he puts them. Uh, what's the same verse? Down? Thus shall he do with the most stronghold with a strange god, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. We should trust it all the more. Let's let it happen. You know, so maybe it's this. Um, they, the AI wants to be God's replacement. A lot of people want that. Well, we have to determine what's right and wrong, and we might be faulty. Maybe AI can. It knows better than we do versus trusting God and the Bible and the system which he has. I'm glad that we have a Christian Judeo system because within our system, it allows for grace. A police officer can pull you over, but he can also not write you up for anything he got you for. He's allowed grace. You know, I can let you off this time. I can give you a warning. We're all you were doing this. It's like you were breaking the law, but you're trying to get in the hospital because your wife's pregnant, or you're trying to get the, your grandma's dying. And I can see the distress. You know, okay, yeah, I'll help you and get here. You know, they have grace. Well, the law doesn't have grace. No, you're speeding. It is there. And so the God system has that, but the AI system doesn't have that. And the AI system would say, oh, you don't have money to make account. You got no groceries. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to. You don't have the app. You can't shop here. You know, it's like you're not allowed. Oh, you said that on Facebook? Denied. You're not allowed to participate in our society. Your card it would start. You know, you, you can't. You know, we're giving all this technology over, and it's all kind of coming to this one head. You know, especially by the time you marry it with the social credit score, the ESG score, and the banking standings. Um, ESG, again, I know I mentioned it before, is the Environmental Social Governance, which is their back door into putting it in place because the American people were rebels. I want to say amen to that. So, you know, we, are, we, we, we threw off tyranny. You know, we threw off, that's who we are, and that's how we still are. We're, you know, the most of the other world has laws and things that put them into positions where they have to be governed. We have those that keep us free and, and supposed to fight against them. We have freedom of speech. That's why they attack it on every front. You know, Harry and uh, who's he married to? Megan Markle. You know, they come over here and they said that freedom of speech is one of the most dangerous, ludicrous things that we're allowed to have in this country. Of course, they like it. You know, they write a book telling all about, the, about their thing, but they thought this is a dangerous thing. You shouldn't be allowed to say everything you want. Uh, yeah, we should have freedom of speech. We should have a, a diversity of ideas and put it in the floor to debate and do all this. Yeah, you think wrong. No, it's not politically correct to think that way. Bang, you're you're deplatformed. You're shut down. You're out of here. And so they can deny you all these things. Go against your bank score. Now you're denied a home loan, or you can't get a car loan because we don't like you. We don't like your politics. We don't want your money. Uh, you have to put some posts out there that say some positive thing about the government, what it's doing. Then maybe we'll give you a loan for that house, the land, or whatever else. If not, we're going to take it away, or we're going to deny you your job. We're going to deny you your food. We're going to deny it. And if you don't think that's coming and already happening. You need to open your eyes and do some research and see what is going on in and around the world. And just because it hasn't happened to us yet, and I don't want to be Germany, where Germany is like, well, they came for the Jews, and they came for this, and they came for that, and they came for me, and there's no one left to speak up. You know, we need to be speaking up now for all these that are being attacked uh, for that stuff going on now, because it's all going to, towards this. It seems evil, it feels evil, because it is evil, and I think we can see it being played out and veiled within these verses that God is telling us about now. Um, AI, you know, uh, will be the one that can help decide whether you can buy or sell, or you can bank, or whether you can work, or whether you get educated, or whether your children can be educated, or if you can participate in the system. It's everywhere now, and it's only going to get worse. So I would say stop encouraging it. <laughs> get rid of uh, uh, your, your devices at home that work with everything automated. I don't, I'm not saying we should all be Luddites. I'm not against uh, technology, but uh, we need to be sober about some things and how we do it. 
Um, I don't use it. I'll just state this right now and put it to hold me accountable. I do not use artificial intelligence to write my sermons. And I have to say that because it is the trend. It is the coming trend. And I'll, I'll tell you this, I don't even use it to gather my information because even people that I would know and respect say they use AI to do the gathering of the information they want for a sermon. I want to talk about the market of the beast today. Will you search the internet, you know, chat GPT-4 and, and search out and give me the prominent verses and what I should use and can I give you an outline and put all the... I don't use I want the Holy Spirit to inform me. I don't want some AI intelligence to tell me. I want him to spark my mind and my imagination. He wants me to think about, to recall the verses that I've hidden in my heart and the sermons that I've listened to and the things that I've read to pull it all out and to call and say, which ones are good or which ones are bad? Is that right? Is this applying it correctly? I want to use that. I want to be led by the Spirit, not by the computer and whatever trends and things it has. You know, I want to understand this way. I want to use the things that God has laid on my heart, not what a slick AI system that's gleaned from the internet to put down and say, hey, this, this has been used a lot. Why don't you do that? Because it is becoming more and more. It's creeping in to pulpits. Some will outright tell you that they do it and let an AI system write the whole sermon. And, and some do it, like I said, to, to be their I guess, lackey, uh, to search and find uh, the verses or the clips or the quotes that they want and, and compile in that way. I don't want to do that. I don't plan on doing that. And so hold me accountable if I ever start doing it. Ask me what's like. Hey, using AI to write that? No. Of course, I think this is Brian being Brian. Aliens and AI might be the same thing, wrapped in different packages. You know, maybe they're using concert together. Fallen angels is what I think the aliens are in disguise. Not demons. I think demons aren't that smart. I think it's the supernatural beings who still have a physical, tangible body uh, that are behind this. <clears throat> supernatural beings. The ancients called them gods when they came down. They saw them as deities, you know, little g-gods. Passed themselves off that way. Oh, okay. Our society wouldn't take that today, but we'll take aliens. And so I think they'll pass it off and say, well, you look like an alien. Okay, I'm an alien then. And even in our secular world, they're starting to say, well, they're probably really not space beings in the sense that they've come from far away because science, when I talked about the Drake equation uh, last week or the week before, it shows that space is huge and that the chances of life being out there is pretty slim and the chances of there was life out there for it to survive to be able to get here is nigh on impossible and uh, the space that they would have to travel to get here, the technology probably doesn't exist that would allow them to do that. So they're even starting to acknowledge that they're probably interdimensional. They're not coming from far away like another star. They're probably coming from a, the next dimension over a different frequency than us that we can't see them all the time, but they can shift between one frequency and another. That's the definition of a fallen angel or a spirit being. And, and, and they're even acknowledging that and even acknowledging that to them. Well, not technically. It was easier for your simple minds to understand that earlier. But now that you're getting more educated and understand that there's 11 dimensions or 10 or whichever one they solve themselves or determined to be, but we come from one of those and we can shift between the two. And we're just trying to catch you up to where we are, you know, help you in this next phase of evolution and merge you with technology to help you to be able to do this phase in and out. Why don't you just download your brain right now. First, you have to destroy your body. And then you'll be in the, the consciousness sphere where you can go between the two. It all lies from the devil. It's all death and destruction and separating us and taking something that is not God's and what God has not determined to put it in charge. And that's just a brief summary. <laughs> that leads us to, to verse 40 uh, for our, our subject tonight just to kind of catch us up. So I have some speculation there, some things to chew on. I just want to give you something to chew on. 
Let me give you some more. Your cheeks should be full by the time you leave tonight. Uh, verse 40 says, And at that time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come up against him, like as a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries, uh, yeah, into the countries, and shall overflow and pass over. Okay, this is written very prophetical. Um, he kind of tells us where we are in this at verse, at the beginning of verse 40. It's at the time of the end. We're at the near the end of the end. Now, all this is about the latter times. Remember, we, I read that first quote from, from chapter 10 where he said, I'm going to tell you about the latter times. And he starts then telling about these last kingdoms that march up. You know, we go to the earlier parts of Daniel. He gives us the last big four, you know, Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greece, Rome. Rome revived in the last days, you know, the days in which we are as things are coercing or coalescing back together. So we think we're very near the end. The Antichrist putting himself on the scene. And so he says, now, now we're at the very end or nearing the end of this last king, the Antichrist, the beast of Revelation, this vile person at the time of the end. And then he starts using some familiar language that we have from earlier in the chapter. He starts talking about the king of the south and the king of the north. Um, uh, that's Egypt and Syria. That's how it's been. That's how we've interpreted it the rest of the time. And I think that that's no different. But um, notice they're against him. So he's a one world leader. He's a one world <clears throat> dictator. Verse 40, but it says, And at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. This is resistance. You know, you're pushing against him. And the king of the north shall come against him. Against him. He's not for him. He's, not, he, he's, he's saying no to some of the policies or some of the things he's doing. They don't like him. Uh, and what he's doing in the direction he's going. So the king of the south and the king of the north are pushing against him. And so they're kind of like putting him in a pincer uh, maneuver where they're pushing against him. Uh, and they come against him like a whirlwind. Um, so the, the beast is not the king of the south. The beast is not the king of the north. So he's neither. He's the king of the world. He's the one that's called the prince that shall come. And they come at him and it says here they come like a whirlwind. And then it lists some of the technology that they use against them. They come with chariots and with horsemen, with many ships. And then it says that he runs. He runs and hides into many countries and he overflows and passes over. So he just starts you know, open borders. He's all for open borders. No checkpoints, no walls. You've got to get in there. I wonder if that's what we're doing. We're trying to destroy our, all borders. Uh, Elaine and I were listening to the congressman talk the other day. He was talking about it. Seems like there's a push in the world to get rid of all borders. But free travel here in Neely. He's, he's able to run right across. Of course, he's also a world leader and a military force at the same time. But uh, trying to travel to and fro, but maybe we're seeing early shadows being cast even in our time. Um, so, why does he mention this, I guess? Well, the, this technology is uh, old tech, right? Chariots, horsemen, ships. So a few theories. So here's some more things to put in your cheeks to chew on later. Is it just written in a language that Daniel and the Jews would understand for millennia? What's warfare? Chariots, horses, ships? Maybe, you know, because it's not until modern day age, not until very recently, that's all there was. You know, World War One, you know. Horses, trench war, you know, a lot of that, you know, we started to get caissons, you know, the caissons go rolling, you know, they're pulling in, next thing you know, World War II, they think it's going to start out that way, yeah, 
I think Levi was telling me about a group of guys that's going their uniform had swords, you know, and all those kilts and all this stuff. They're going to go down and fight this. And they're like, wait, well, there's jets. <laughs> that doesn't help with the trench. You know, that we can we can fly. And there's planes and there's Messerschmitts and they have all these different things that underground, uh, underwater submarines that are uh, that we can't detect. And, and, that, and the radar and all of a sudden text is like going crazy, right? You know, then we have we end it with a nuclear bomb. You know, in the forties. Up until then, it was war, horses, and then chariots. So maybe it's just using language that they understand. We still use ships. We don't use chariots or horses so much. I'm sure there's still some small planes. Or maybe we're supposed to read this, and then we're supposed to modernize it to today's text. Maybe it's just like keywords, you know, like symbolism. Maybe whirlwind means helicopter. I read that. Chariots, maybe that means uh, tanks, like Bradley's or something like that. Strikers, infantry carrier vehicles, dragoons, mobile gun systems, reconnaissance vehicles, mortar carriers, command vehicles, fire support vehicles, engineer vehicles, medical evacuation vehicles, anti-tank guided missile vehicles, nuclear biological chemical reconnaissance vehicles. These are all military vehicles that would go underneath that category. Armed personnel carriers, light armored vehicles, Amphibious assault vehicles, let alone light utility vehicles, mine protected vehicles, and light armored vehicles, anti aircraft vehicles that drill like within the Iron Dome uh, defense system, trucks, and humans, and whatever else we have to march around on. Maybe that's what chariots are. We're supposed to be interpreting it like that. Possibly. So then what's horsemen? That'd be dirt bikes. <laughs> jetpacks. I don't know if you watch, they've had jetpack races now. You got the guys that basically have like a bulkier Iron Man suit, you know, where they have the, the, the pack on the back and then the stabilizers on their hands and they're zipping all around this racetrack. I've watched them do that and up and down and around. And maybe it's like that. Or maybe it's like those drones you can sit on and fly. Or maybe true drones. Maybe it's just drones coming up. I don't know. Or there's another way to think about it. As part of earlier warfare, like an EMP, been deployed, an electromagnetic pulse, electromagnetic pulse to take out most things and set us back to like it was before the Wright brothers, <clears throat> where the fastest thing would be a horse and a boat and a ship, you know, would be a sail, and that most of modern day technology would not work at all, would become worthless. So now they're back to kicking it old school with horses and chariots and things. That's one thought. That's, that's, that's so much people. I have one last thought that I think that I might add, because I can't, for a while I would probably throw my hat in that arena, you know, maybe, maybe something that set us back to the days like it was, to reset back to like Bible time as it was, because a lot of the descriptions of all these things talks about horses a lot, you know, the blood after this one battle is up to the horse's bridle, six foot deep blood, you know, as it comes in, so apparently horses are there, he can look and measure it, and, um, but I also look and I think, He's talking about AI, or at least a, an image that he makes look as if it is alive, enough that it fools and convinces people and they worship it. That he's tracking people with a system that I think works best if AI or if uh, technology is working. If you have a um, mark of the beast system that is working on the, say it's a chip, an implanted chip, since we know it's a mark on the hand or the forehead, uh, it needs some kind of scanner technology to always be working. And, Either they're making these EMP proof, they're hardened, would be the, tech, you know, the technical name for that. <clears throat> or all that's still in place, and surveillance system, and tracking, and all that's going on, radar, maybe that's all still working. And so, maybe as these 
rogue nations want to come against him, maybe they think that this has become a weak point. That the Antichrist and the beast and his system is so high-tech and they put so much dependence on that they worship this strange God that might be technology, whatever this strange God of forces is that he puts his, his whole devotion into, that he is depending upon this technology so much that it's like such a sensitive scanner and it can track anything and everything's marked to it and everything's got a code and everything goes back to it, that they see it as a weak spot. What if we don't go in a metal, metal vehicle? What if we ride a horse? What if we march over there? What if we pull wagons? What if we go this way? How close can we get before his senses go off? Maybe it's that. You know, that this strong defense that he has becomes a weak part because he depends so much on it that they use low tech to get in. Taking it old school. We did World War II, right? We cracked every code we got, except for Navajo. All of a sudden, you put in some Navajo Indians. It's not a written language. They were able to translate everything back and forth. Germans never could crack it because it's not a written language. And so we used something old. We went old language. You know, instead of new code, and we went old, old speak. Maybe we do some of the same things. He depends on it so much so that the beast and his enemies say, let's just go low fire, you know, go low way. And so um, maybe that's it. Maybe they, they're able to use that to their benefit. He can't use his radar. He can't use the chip system that he's embedded in him or whatever else that he has tied in with the Lord. You know, they're able to go and, and, and do something. AI doesn't see them right or doesn't see them as a threat. You know, that's just people. It's not a tank, it's not whatever else. And so, before you know it, he's surrounded. And the artifact, he's not working. There's no signal to detect. And so it's the ultimate step, uh, ultimate tech, off-grid. You know, it's like Jesus warns that. You see these things happen, you go off-grid, like you run to the wilderness. Get out of here, you know, get off, get off where he can't find you because he's using all this that he's integrated into all the cities and things to, to be able to watch you and, and pass himself off as God. Um Verse 40 ends with saying, he runs. So verse 40 says, At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries, and shall overflow and pass over. So he runs, you know, he takes off. And so he's, he leaves where he's at. And so I was thinking, I'm like, I wonder where he's at. I'm, I think he's probably in Iraq or Probably real close to, to Babylon. I mean, there's a lot of it's rebuilt, and a lot of people think that's actually where he's going to be. And I tend to, the more when I study in that topic directly, you know, he's rebuilding it. It's rebuilt Saddam Hussein, did a lot of it. We went there, we made headquarters, we've kind of shored it all up. And maybe it becomes the capital of the, the world when he takes it back over. Let's go back to the cradle of the universe and start these things all over right from the Ur of the Chaldees here where it all began and establish its back that way. Maybe. But we know where he runs. Verse 41. And he enters into the glorious land. That's the idiom for Israel. And many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of, the, out of his hand. Even Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. So he runs. I think part of this, and we'll look at a verse for that in just a minute. I think he understands that his time is short. So... He's like, i got to do as much damage as possible. So everywhere he goes, it's carnage. It's just destroy them all. Launch it all. You know, trigger it. You know, go after it. So he starts beelining it for Israel. Because he's satanically charged. He's satanically empowered. And probably satanically indwelt. And Satan's going to be all out of evil. Let's kill Jews. Let's, let's go to the headquarters. Let's go kill some Jews. And so they always run there. It's always evil's plan. 
So they try to hit God where it hurts most. You can't hurt God, so let's hurt him best by going by what he loves. You, know, you can't get Superman, he's bulletproof. Let's torture Lois Lane. You know, that's, the, that's the plot point every time. You know, we can't get him. That's who God. We can't get God. Who does God love? Israel is his chosen people. Let's go persecute them. So he runs there. So Israel is God's chosen people. So Satan hates them. It seems like a lot are united with him, but there's some that escape his control. There's some that God puts within them enough to be rebellious against him and his global plan, even though they're not Christians and even though they're not Jewish. He gives us their names. He tells us it's Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. So, go on Google Earth, spin it all around. You're trying to look and see who's where and what's what. And so, uh, to line up that map of Edom, Moab, and the children of Ammon and compare it to today, that's the area of Jordan and Sodom, Saudi, uh, Saudi, Saudi Arabia. There we go. <laughs> the house of Saudi, the Saudi Arabians. And so, it's that um, south of. Uh, Iran, um, down is the area of Jordan, Saudi Arabia. So why? Why would he let these escape? They're right next door. They're right. They, they've typically even traditionally been enemies of Israel, you know, through history. So why don't they comply? Why don't they throw in? Because God needs a place for Israel to run high. So God keeps some. He's like, not you. And he put it within them. Maybe they're. House of Saud's so proud. That's a family name. It's a family country. That, that's, that's it. It's them. That's why they're so uber rich. You know, that they buy all weird stuff and build weird things. You know, because they just got money to burn, right? And so uh, and, and Jordan, the same thing, you know, wealthy country where they all are. Maybe they're like, I don't want someone telling me what to do. We're the kings. You know? And so maybe God uses that to this advantage, you know, that, that they oppose him in this. Maybe there's a, a feigning of uh, compliance but maybe it's always next year or next time. Either way, it keeps them out of control. But Israel has to run and hide. And God has a place prepared for them. And he's told us this in Revelation 12. Let's turn there. We'll look at a couple passages. But... <clears throat> in Revelation 12 and verse 13 is a very interesting chapter. It's a good timing chapter over everything. Um, I don't have time to go into all of it, but I've covered some of it when we went through Revelation and, and other things. But, uh, I'm going to pick up towards the end here because we're past the, the, the midpoint of the tribulation. I think we've already had well, I think we're at the tribulation. And I think the rapture happens. We go up to heaven. God kicks the devil out. We'll pick up verse 12, Revelation 12, 12. Therefore rejoice, O ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Satan's kicked out. Right now, Satan can accuse the brethren. That's part of his job. That's what the Satan means, the accuser. He is up there accusing the brethren. Look who they are. Look what they're doing. There comes a point in time where God's like, get out of here. He kicks them out. I think it's when we go up. It's like, I got a bunch of people coming. <laughs> get out of here. The church coming home. You guys get out of here. So he kicks them out. Heaven rejoices. Hey, he's gone. You know, ding dong, the witch is dead. You know, and so he gets kicked down. He says, so he that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. He's coming down to earth. He can't. He doesn't have access to heaven anymore. He's not in hell. Hell is his prison. He's never been in hell. He doesn't go to hell. He avoids it. I don't want to go hang out in prison knowing that's going to be my destiny. And so, no, he, he doesn't do that. It's not for a place where he rules over it. It's a place where he is punished. And so he's in heaven causing as much havoc as possible. But now he's thrown down and he's limited. He's only on earth. He says, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he 
you have but a short time? Seven years? Three and a half years? And then as it gets tighter here at the end, as he begins to see these resistors, his man, the, the beast, uh, begins to make headway and he starts destroying things and he starts then running towards Israel to cause as much carnage. And so Israel is told to leave. Uh, Matthew 24, that's the whole passage when Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, you Jewish people, run. Don't even go back to your house. Don't go get your coat at the other end of the field. Get into the wilderness. Well, what's the wilderness? It's the wilderness where Moses had wandered around well, out, out that way. And so they run. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that it was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, that's Israel, who brought forth the man-child, that's Christ. So he's tired of them. Verse 14, and to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. Some read that and think, America helps. You know, we're, we're the eagle. I, I don't know. But somehow she's given speed. She's able to get out uh, before he can come in and do total destruction on them. That she might fly into the wilderness. She goes to the floor, into a place where she is nourished for a time, times, and a half a time. So this is at the midpoint of the tribulation, the three and a half year point, from the face of the serpent. So she's given a place to hide. Israel's given a place to hide where he can't find them. Now, any he can find, he's destroying and he's killing just wantonly. Uh, we can read that throughout the book of the Revelation, let alone any Christian that he can find. That's why Jesus tells you, run, hide, get away where he can't track and find you. Verse 15, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away at the flood. They think that's Gentiles he's using as people. Uh, verse 16, and the earth helped the woman. This was a telling clue. Uh, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up a flood. They think this might be an earthquake or something. And the dragon cast out of his mouth because somehow it protects them. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and he went up to make war with the remnant of her seed, uh, which kept the commandments of God and had the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he goes after all the believers. So this goes and runs in a hide in a wilderness in a place that can be protected, that it has an opening like a mouth to get there. And we think that is Basra. Uh, we call it Edom, which is part of the towns. If you look at uh, Isaiah 63. painted the, the Jesus barn that was over on 44 that we have hanging in the back but one side was blue one side was orange the orange side had Jesus Christ down on the cross the other side had Christ with a sword in his hand not as many like that side as much you know at the end there is judgment was the word I had on there this is the passage that I based it on I never got back I, I planned on painting him red um, but we never did but in my mind's eye that's what I was going to do um, but it's based off this passage here in Isaiah 63 Isaiah 63 verse 1 who is this that cometh from Edom, dyed with dyed garments of Basra? This is red. This is where the grapes were crushed. And it's like they're basically identifying Jesus Christ and his garments are soaked in blood because he's already had a battle. So this is part of the battle plans of the end times. Uh, that is glorious in apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel? And thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. And Jesus says, I have trodden in the wine press alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain uh, and I will stain all my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my Redeemer is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm hath brought salvation unto me, and my fury had upheld me. I will tread them, I 
will tread down the people of mine anger and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. So he's like, I've, I've had a judgment already. This isn't Armageddon. This is the precursor to Armageddon, where he goes with Israel's back against the wall. They're hiding in Basra in the land of Edom, and uh, they cry out, the devil's on to them, save us. Day delay, he comes down, and he rescues them, and he slaughters them all. And now he's flying. Now he's making his appearance at Armageddon, and he's already covered in blood. He's about ready to judge the earth. Um, what's in Edom? What's in Basra? That's where Petra is, and that's where we think that they're going to go to hide. This is a place that has a narrow entrance. It's a place that's carved out of rock that has all these tunnel systems. Christians already been stocking it full of food and Bibles and supplies for them. Uh, they think God somehow in this area must miraculously protect them for this final judgment. Read more in Isaiah 34 and other places, but uh, we'll just skip it for tonight. But um, go back to Daniel 11. So they run, we think they run, and Petra, not someplace else around there, God opens up some place for them to go similar to it where they can hide out. <clears throat> they do for the last three and a half years. So now in verse 42, it says, And he shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. And so uh, as we read in Revelation 12, 12, that he has great wrath because he knows he has but a short time. So now he's just wanton destruction. Let's kill as many as you can. If the first three and a half years are likened to a pseudo peace or a utopia on earth because the Christians are gone and all the naysayers who are against anything and everything are out of here, uh, that they have this pseudo peace, except for those who don't comply. Yeah, he has to use some kind of force against those who don't comply to keep the rest of us in line, right? You know, so they always have an excuse for his violence and his destruction as he turns upon these other nations. Um, but now it's been this wanton bloodlust this last three and a half years, especially here towards the end as he draws in on them. And so... That's why he says he even goes against Egypt, and he's going to try to destroy them. Uh, verse 43 says, But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over the, all the precious things of Egypt. And of the Libyans and of the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. And so he starts just tearing up Africa. The part that always strikes me in this verse is, there are treasures of gold and silver and precious things in Egypt. I thought we found them all, and they're all in the British Museum or the American Museum, and they're in the museums around the world. I thought we dug them all up. I thought we had them all out of there. What is he finding? What's he got? I would say, well, I've always read this like, apparently we don't have them all, and apparently there's still something to be found, which it is still shocking. You know, they're opening up new things, it seems like, every week. You know, if I go to Discovery Channel, I'll find something all the time. And we found a new chamber. We haven't found much like Tut and Common, but there's still some. Or, here's another speculation for it. or maybe as a world leader, he recollects all the artifacts of Egypt and he brings them back. He's the evil incarnate, right? And he's in charge of everything, bringing it all back. And now since he can speak to all these demons and the devil and everybody else, he talks to the fallen supernatural beings that he sets up as a strange god over the world, these little gods. Using AI and them together, maybe he restores these relics to their original use. All the things that we get out in the museum, we're like, I don't know what they're doing in that picture. It looks like a light bulb, but it looks like a land speeder. It looks like a Huey helicopter. I, that's real things. If you haven't seen those on the hieroglyphs and stuff, there's a lot of things where like, it looks like they're plugging into something. They're holding something. It looks like, you know, that's levitating. There's all kinds of weird images. Maybe he reconvenes it all to its original use. There's a chamber underneath the Sphinx that looks like a Lazarus pit where they think that they can 
reanimate someone who is dead. Maybe he's trying to do that. Maybe he's trying to do it all. But either way, maybe he gets all this together. He calls upon all these ancient relics, pulls them together, and reactivates these old new weapons. New old weapons, but old weapons new. Maybe he takes the knowledge of the Anunnaki's and the Tartarians and the elder races and their dark deities to summon up this evil for his use as this last stand for the battle of Armageddon and he calls it all up to make this big stand against God maybe that's how Ian Roth was in the movie <laughs> something similar like that yeah, it says he's just going after it and he pulls up something he opens the stargate I don't know he pulls it all together but while he's doing this while he's on this rampage and he's just cutting the path of death through Africa, verse 44, he says, um, The tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many, to destroy many. So tidings out of the east and out of the north. This is one event that we have recorded for us in the book of Revelation. The tidings out of the east part. The north part a little more complicated. We think it's Russia. Gog, Magog. There's a Gog, Magog battle that we haven't talked about at all because I don't... Yeah, it's where it fits. Where does it go? Is it pre-tribulation or is it after the tribulation? Is the big discussion. So that would be a whole other lesson by itself that doesn't really fit in here right now, so we're not going to go right <clears throat> now. But Russia is in there. It would be the north, we think. And then um, Kings of the East is where we want to look at. It's the one that tells us the most about in Revelation 16, if you turn there. Revelation 16 is the sixth vial. So there's only one judgment left. Um, Revelation 16 and verse 12 says, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water therefore was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Has anybody in here ever seen a social media post about the great river Euphrates being dried up? I've probably seen those when they show there's these chambers and all kinds of stuff that's down and under there. Yeah. I've got an article where they built the first dam that, that um, blocked Euphrates probably in the 90s. And I thought that that was answering this first, but now we literally have Euphrates drying up to nothing. But it says that this is to prepare the way of the kings of the east. How late are we? Is where my mind starts going. That we are now, this is seven years in the tribulation, but we're starting to see those signs come about even now. Um, the kings of the east. The kings of the east would be who's east of the river Euphrates? That would be Iran, Afghanistan. We don't hear those in the news ever. Uh, India, Nepal, Myanmar, Vietnam, China, Japan, Mongolia, Kazakhstan, all those guys. So a bunch of, bunch of kings that are usually kind of blocked off, and they usually use this river as one of the blocking points is now gone, that they can come right in. Well, you think, well, they can fly in. Unless they're using horses and chariots and those other things we mentioned earlier. But either way, they all start drawing themselves together. Verse 13 says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So we have to speculate that these guys have demons in them. Even, even Satan has a demon in him. Yeah, because he's the dragon. The dragon had this frog-like creature come out of them. What dark creatures are these? 
I don't know that they would be inside and riding the beast and the false prophet and the antichrist but they're reptilian in, in nature yeah. here's what they do because they do miracles verse 14 for they are the spirits of devils it's demons working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and unto the whole world to gather them to do battle of that great day of God Almighty. So these demons that are belched out of the, the Antichrist and the false prophet and Satan, they go around the world doing miracles to convince all the earth, all the leaders of the world, that they've got to converge there in the east to battle at a place called, you know what it is? Armageddon. That's where he's drawing them all to. It makes it irresistible. He's doing these things to say, you've got to be there. So it's pulled them all to this great, huge valley that is there. Um, verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth. Are we supposed to watch for these things? Well, yeah, blessed is he that watches. You know, how many people I, get, I hear that say, you shouldn't be looking into this. You shouldn't pay attention. We should just be going on. Yeah, it seems that he tells, blessed is those who watch. I want the servants that are watching. I want the ones who are awake. I want the ones seeing. I want the ones that have eyes to hear. Or eyes, eyes to see. That would be weird. Eyes to see. Ears to hear. You know, to pull these things together. Blessed is he that watches and he that keeps his garments. That guards and protects. Stays righteous lest he be, at, be naked. <laughs> Prepared, robed in righteousness. We have salvation. Christ's righteousness. And they see... Uh, see his shame. So he wants us to be prepared, saved, and ready. We see these things coming. It should motivate us. Motivate us to live better. Verse 16. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. So that's where it's building to. That's why this is the last of the end. Where the beast is on this murderous rampage going through Africa. He's down in like Ethiopia. He's down uh, in the south in there. And now he's going to draw them back up into the east. Draw them back to the glorious land where this battle is going to take place. Where the kings of the east are coming across the river Euphrates and is drawing them over. He's gone to the whole world and drags them. It's still weird that he doesn't talk much about America here. So many people think of like, something must take us out. <laughs> that we're not part of coming in. Either that or we're the Antichrist army. We're the beast system that he's riding, that he's using in all this. We're so ingrained in it that he can't separate us from it. And so either one, we're the beast army, boom, or two, that we're destroyed before it happens. It does sure seem like we're under an attack to divide us, to destroy us, to take us out, and not let us be who we are anymore and make us something different. Just saying. That's all part of this satanic plan. So there's one verse left in Daniel 11, but we're going to look at that next week. It's Armageddon. So we'll take some time, we'll look into that, we'll look at all the passages I can find, we'll read them all together, try to put them into context and make a picture in our mind of what it's like and what it's about, and then we'll start chapter 12, which is a very cool chapter, so we get into that. I uh, appreciate you being here, <clears throat> thinking on these things with me, let's again try to just study these scriptures, put them together, see what the Holy Spirit pulls out and shows to you, and let him be your guide. Uh, we'll sound the board here together and just try to figure it out. If you see the days approaching, the resolution gets clearer and clearer as we can see things happening.